0: Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Let's be honest. We are all affected by marriage. Either we are married, we want to be married, we come from wonderful, semi-dysfunctional parents who are still married, or parents who divorced, or parents who are married but did not model a healthy partnership, and the list goes on. In today's episode, I chat with Lisa Goldberg about her journey from a marriage of hurt and deception to hope and redemption. We talk about the hardest part of fighting for her marriage after discovering her husband's infidelity, how God had been softening her heart long before the discovery, and the way they use their experience to encourage other couples through stay side by side ministry. After listening to today's episode, I have no doubt you will be filled with hope for your marriage or the ones impacting you daily. Well, good afternoon, Lisa. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Introduce yourself and your family to our listeners and tell everybody a little bit about what you do. So my name is Lisa Goldberg, and
1: I live in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband, Steve, and we have a seven-year-old son. And what we do, uh, I actually right
0: now am the (laughs) Nobody knows what they do during the pandemic.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. What am I doing right now? Who knows? But Currently, I am the executive director of our nonprofit marriage ministry called Side by Side. Um, I spent a large portion of my career life as a musical theater actress. So I'm in a very different world than I used to be, but um, still creatively involved. So that's what I do. My husband is a worship pastor.
0: Awesome. Well, so tell me, were you on stage a lot? Yes. Like, is this when you all lived up north? Yeah, so I lived in
1: New York City for eight years, and then in Boston for an additional eight years, and during that 16 years, I was in professional theater, so I did um, mostly musical theater, some uh, commercial work, voiceovers, uh, all kinds of whatever. You know, in the theater industry, you do whatever you can to make a living, so I also taught. I taught children um, private acting lessons. I had my own studio. And so it wasn't um, It wasn't until kind of God got a hold of me and shook me by the shoulders that I ended up making a, a shift. I never would have imagined that this is where I would be in my life. Right, so,
0: right. Well, and I mean, that just intrigues me. So I have to ask, like, do you ever miss it? You know, I, I thankfully I sing
1: a lot with the worship team. So as far as that goes, I, and honestly, like ever since a lot of things changed in our life, I feel most um, fulfilled when I'm singing worship music, when I'm actually glorifying God. And I did find, you know, at that shift in my life that some of the theater that I was doing was mm-hmm. certainly not godly. Um, I do miss it to a point, but I would, and I have, I have a feeling I will go back at some point, um, Probably not while my son is in elementary school, but uh, I think I'll be very careful about the type of theater that I do.
0: Yes. Well, and the school that your son is at is a school that my children are at. And so they have such a great theater program there that you just never know sometimes the stories that people share about how they ended up somewhere a lot of times has to do with what your kids were doing in school. And those can be like really gifts, you know, like, oh, I ended up in this director role or teaching these kids and that led to x y and z so that's really cool you know
1: i helped as just a mom volunteer for the first grade (laughs) christmas play and i was abnormally excited about it (laughs) like i don't think like i don't think volunteer moms are supposed to be like (laughs) as excited as I was to be backstage. But it was
0: great. So Miss Garrett is grateful for you, because I'm like running for the hills when those (laughs) signups come up. I'm like, what can I bring um, to basically just go to the store, buy something, drop it off and be done with it. So yeah, anyways, well, we're going to talk a little bit about your story today and about your marriage. And so when you and Steve were first married, What was your marriage like early on?
1: Mm -hmm. So my husband's Jewish and I grew up in a Christian home, but I would say that it was a pretty lukewarm situation. Um, So I really did not have a full concept of um, my faith. And so when we got married, uh, neither one of us was really following either one of our religions. And we had a really kind of a self-centered vision of what our marriage was like, partially because we both came from very broken families. Yes. So when we decided to unite, uh, it was like, we're not going to do what all those other people did. And so we had to kind of create this wall around us a little bit. And I would say I was more the wall builder than my husband was Um, out of this just protective Quality of not wanting to make the mistakes that they did, or um, or have outside influence that we felt would stop us from heading in this, you know, beautiful direction that we thought we were headed, uh, which was all based on the foundation of human love and infatuation and all of those lovely things that you experience uh, in the beginning of a relationship. And we really believed that that was a strong foundation. Don't Uh, we all, sister? (laughs) Yeah. So it was not a God-centered marriage when we got married. And it was much more surface level than we even realized. and. Even early into our marriage, um, we we made some poor choices. We didn't really understand how to function together. Our roles were not clear and um, lopsided in many ways. At the same time, we were very good at, you know, looking like we were a really great couple. Uh, So everything on the outside seemed really lovely and and cute, but really we were just kind of um, these two separate entities living in the same house, surviving as best we could.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me, we've been going through emotionally healthy spirituality, which is by Pete Scazzaro. And he talks so much about how in our minds we really do have these good intentions and we want to, in this case, love our spouse. And so how is it that we can want it so much with our mind but then our actions just turn around and do something completely different. And one of his big things is, you know, you can't be spiritually healthy unless you deal with your emotions, too, and your past brokenness. And I have seen the value in that so much.
1: Absolutely. It's um Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I think a lot of lean not on your own understanding has to do with that emotional quality. It's not a bad thing to feel things. But what we do is we take those feelings and we create these actions that end up being extraordinarily unhealthy for a relationship. You know, so that's why we have to look to the Lord for that clear plumb line, because our emotions are wackadoodle all over the place, you know. For sure.
0: And I feel like if you came out of a dysfunctional family, which we all have, but the reality is some families are more functional than others. Your emotions are even more wackadoodle. (laughs)
1: Truth. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, Or at least how you view a lot of circumstances is very wacky. So anyways, that you came to a place in your marriage where you discovered that your husband was having an affair. Will you share that part of your story, just what it was like, um, what both of you were experiencing? I think through that he came to know Jesus. And so kind of weave your faith journey in with the story of discovering that he was having an affair.
1: So it was about uh, year six of our marriage. So it was a slow decline uh, through those first six years, and we were not in a good place. We were both very separated in our interests, in our schedules. Everything was just these kind of two two ships running parallel lives, um, not necessarily intersecting on a regular basis. So there was a lot of time apart and not a whole lot of time together, and the time together was not meshed well at all. And so... Gradually, I realized not my my relationship wasn't working. Um, I wasn't feeling fulfilled in multiple areas of my life, Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me at that time, I was like, "Well, I've tried just about everything, and I mean just about everything to fill this hole." So I started going back to church because it literally was the only thing that I had not tried. So at that time, I I went back to church. My husband, as a Jewish man was like, okay, whatever, <laughs> you, know, do what you do what you need to do. And he just kind of kept on his same course. And it was during that time before I found out about the affair that I was being super humbled by God. Mm-hmm. And so God knew what was coming uh, and he was really kind of breaking me down to build me up. And so that was a crucial time in kind of giving you that, you know, preview of coming attractions, because when I, I there was a lot of struggle in our marriage. It was during that time that I was growing closer to God. It was also the, a clear message from God that I was to fight for my marriage. My husband was doing everything he could to get me to divorce him. Um, and so he was genuinely rude. Uh, just he was doing everything he could. I didn't understand why. It didn't make sense to me. At the time, I had no idea what was going on. And I I really did not. I was completely clueless, not because I'm so much clueless, but because my husband is such a kind, gentle soul. Mm. I never imagined he would be capable of such deception. And so that's why I really had no idea that this this was what was causing you know so much of his desire to get out of our marriage.
0: Mm.
1: When I did find out, which was me kind of pulling it out of him after over a year of fighting for my marriage, everybody in my life telling me not to, um, me just staying the course and gradually my husband, you know, just kind of getting a, a little crazy, um, when he told me, My response uh, was the exact opposite of what he anticipated, um, which was this immediate response of, I love you. We can make it through this. So he
0: came and confessed to you.
1: Well, yes. I I said to him, the exact words were, (laughs) either there's something mentally wrong with you or you've got somebody waiting in the wings. Mm. And his confession was a grunt. Um, And then gradually became, you know, yes, I have been having an affair for a year and a half. And I think I love this woman. Wow. And my response was, I love you. We can make it through this which was completely not me and 110% Jesus, (laughs) because I'm not, that is not my personality. I am very much the type of person that would blow up at that kind of information, freak out, you know, and that did happen. Don't get me wrong. Like my humanity came in very shortly after that. But the crucial moment that my husband needed, um, happened because Jesus made it happen. Mm. So, you know, it's just the beauty of, God preparing me for that moment, that yeah. when my husband saw that, I said it in this very calm way. It was so not me. <laughs> um, and so he was like, whoa, what? And and for him, it was like a light switch. Wow. He was like, you mean my whole life is not over? You're not going to kill me? Because I I actually had told him when we got married, um, because there is, you know, there, there have yes. been some, some, past hurts in our family lives that has to do with this particular topic. And so it was especially hard for me um, to even imagine that somebody would ever do this to me. And right. so when we got married, I said, I will wound you. Yes. <laughs> if you are this stupid. is a deal breaker. Yes. So that's what he believed the whole time. And um, that was not what what happened. And so for him, it opened him up to l- like this sense of hope that he ha- he didn't have an ounce of hope for our life. And so the only place that he thought he could place any hope was this life with this other person, Mm. because he had messed up so bad that he really was trying to get me to divorce him so that we would end. Then he would show up with the other person and nothing, none of the deception would be known, you know, which is deceptive in itself. But (laughs) that was kind of his plan.
0: Well, so you say that to him, and I know you don't wake up the next morning and it's all over. Like you said, your humanity comes in. People are probably like, why are you laughing, Amber? It's it's Lisa's face. If you could see her facial expressions, <laughs> you would know. She seems to be a little bit like me, probably a little explosive at some point or another. So what did happen? What was the month's following like as he sees you Be hopeful. And as you wrestle through the reality that this is a long road.
1: Yeah, my hope actually disintegrated pretty quickly. And we actually kind of swapped roles for much of the initial couple weeks because, you know, in that initial moment and in even in that whole first night of just the I mean, we, it was a constant conversation of mm-hmm. revelations and me, me, you know, being introduced to all of these moments where I'm starting to figure out like, oh my goodness, that's why you did that. And that's why the, oh my, you know, and you, it is mind blowing wow. when you all of a sudden realize that the last year and a half of your life, there was this whole other world being experienced by your spouse. Um, It's the most debilitating, painful experience, mm-hmm. the deepest kind of grief I had ever experienced. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I lost my mom, my best friend, um, you know, two years ago. And I have to say that the grief I experienced with this deception was, was, it was worse. It was painful. I mean, you know, with my mom, I know I will see her again in heaven. There wasn't a deception in that, in, in, in that death, you know, um, there, there's a beauty in that when, you know, a believer is dying but when there's a there's such deception and such darkness that's that's included in your grief mm. it's deep um it was physically painful i you know i mean i vomited i i lost i lost like 15 pounds in the first week i mean it was crazy i couldn't even drink water i was i was a mad mad woman um <laughs> you know just really overwhelmed with the reality of it i was you know, very interested in knowing every detail about it. So that, that was overwhelming. Um, you know, we immediately had, um, counselors. So we, we did, we did the right stuff as far as how are we going to possibly make it through this? You know, we did all that stuff, but it was the reality of God and living in my heart. like me just knowing I, I, sometimes I say that I was, um, Kind of trapped by my own conviction, right. you know, like I was almost thankful that I knew so clearly that God was telling me to fight for my marriage, that um it was like if if I didn't have that deep clarity, I couldn't see the future. Like even with the clarity, I believed that God was real, I knew the Holy Spirit was living in me. Mm-hmm. But the darkness of the deception and the truth of all of it was so hard to handle mm-hmm. that I couldn't see it was the first time I couldn't see a picture in my future. Like I couldn't see forward. You know how you like, like I'm a planner. I'm, I'm, you know, very type A Enneagram one. Like I, I plan, you know? And so for me to not see something uh, in advance, like to advance to was really, uh, it shook me. It shook me to my core. We did the right things. We got people that could help us through it. My husband watched me even in my despair. Um, I would tell him just if I'm if I'm screaming and yelling and you don't even know what to do with me, just put the Bible in front of me, like just just so that it's there. It's the, it's just so that I see like, oh, right. I love God and he's he loves me and he, his grace is going to cover this, you know, just to see that tangible evidence. Well, when uh, you would
0: do that, though, would he just think you were crazy? Because for him, he's not a believer at this point. Right. He's not a believer at this point. So
1: I got to tell you, and this is what's so miraculous about our story. He saw this divine situation mm-hmm. from that moment of me speaking to, to him and saying, you know, we, we can do this. Yeah. And so he, even as a non-believer, he had a full recognition of the fact that it, it was divine. Yeah, He didn't understand why or how or any of that. But even in the course of the year prior to the revelation of the affair, he saw in me such a difference. You know, God oh, had wow. changed me. Like there was, you know, I I mean, the old me had gone and the new me was rising up with Jesus. And so you couldn't ignore it, I guess. Right. And so it was such a difference in me and how I was responding to things most of the time mm-hmm. that, you know, he was like, hey, whatever, whatever you need. Um so it really it was enough for him to know that whatever i needed in that moment was the right thing for me.
0: Did he immediately just agree to go to counseling? Was it easy for him to walk away from his mistress or whatever name you would like to give? Um how was that process for him? It was not easy.
1: I'd love to say that it was.
0: Well, I I don't think it is for most. That's part of the reason why I'm just curious because I, I think, you know, the emotional attachment we get when we're that intimate with people is real.
1: Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, I have a blog post on our website called how I helped my husband get over his girlfriend.
0: Yeah. I read Um. it. (laughs) I'll link it in the show notes. Okay. Right. Um, it is so hard.
1: Um, it was hard for him. It was hard for me that it was hard for him. This was a very difficult process. Just having just having to cut off the relationship, um, you know, and the process by which we had to do that. You know, it, it was an email that was sent out. There was a response immediately. There was a lot of response. There were responses from not just her, but other people. So it was overwhelming at times, the fact that he, and that was still so early on that it was like, wow, he had this whole other life. These other people knew about them and oh goodness, you know, it was just like, how how can I even do this? Right. And one of the worst things that happens in affairs is that it is, it's not treated like the addiction that it is. Mm. And it truly is. So you are addicted to this fantasy world um, that you have got to make a clean break of. Mm -hmm. And so you have to view it in the same way that you might view, you know, being addicted to a narcotic or something, you know, where you can, you have got to make a completely clean break. You have to remove, you have to make it so that this person cannot reach you. There's extreme measures that have to be put in place. And a lot of people will, you know, just be like, Oh, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like I'll, I can get over this. It's super easy. You know? So for even for us, we're, you know, tend to be rule followers. And so like we, we found a lot of resources that would help us get through it and gave us kind of, you know, a list of things that we should do. And I was like, well, I'm getting my list and I'm going to check it off. And so we did all that stuff. And even still my husband had what, what you would call a, a relapse at one point. Mm. And, and it was simply the act of going on Facebook and looking at a picture of her. Oh, wow. That was it. But it was enough that it took us back like six steps, you know, and he had to confess that to me and we had to work through that together. We had to figure out like how how do we how do we deal with that? I mean, there are multiple people from our story that are still blocked on our Facebook page. If, if I go to my Facebook page, I will see that those people are there in my blocked page. You know, it's a, it's a reality that we will live with for the rest of our lives. You know, so it was, it was a difficult road for him to take, but, but he was willing and he wanted his life and his, and his wife deep down. That's what he wanted. He was poisoned by this addiction.
0: Yeah. Well, what would you say is one of the hardest things about choosing to continue on in marriage after this infidelity? I mean, I know there's a lot, but if you had to say like that one thing, that was really, really hard, what would it be? For me, Mm
1: -hmm. it was, what was now stored in my brain would be there forever. So I, when I speak with other people who are experiencing this, Mm -hmm. you know, I am very clear that you may right now think that you want to know all of these details, but whatever you choose to know is in your brain forever until you're old enough to start forgetting and these are probably maybe not the things you will forget you know right you know i really strongly recommend that when somebody experiences it that they really are prayerful and patient with themselves and their spouse about what information at the same time if you are the type of person that you know really can't get past it without knowing mm-hmm. everything that has occurred in your life that you didn't know was happening The spouse that has betrayed you must give that information and and you have to take that risk. You know, it's you can't try to save the wounded spouse from all of those details, no matter how much you want to. Um, So for me, as the spouse who was wounded, um, I have these images stored in my brain. And that was the hardest part the rebuilding of trust, we worked really hard at rebuilding trust, that would be another one that would be difficult for people. But for me, it was what I felt that I really needed to know. Mm -hmm. And I asked every question. And now I have that in my brain. And, and that was the hardest part for me. Yeah,
0: I could totally see that being the hardest part for me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would want to know, all of the details. Yes. It's so strange to want to know it, but know that you're going to hurt from knowing it. It's a very, it's
1: kind of like going on a roller coaster. People like, what? Do we, why, do we, why do we even do that? Right? You know, yeah. why do we do that to ourselves? We put ourselves in this like really super scary situation, you know, <laughs> no. but um, I, I feel like that was kind of what I did with some of those details.
0: So yes, yes. Well, and tell us a little bit about how then did Steve end up coming to know Jesus?
1: Oh, That's the best part. Um, It was a convenient time for all of this to happen. It was the end of January. And so I was attending a church that really kind of focused a lot on um, love and marriage during the month of February, um, you know, in order to kind of, you know, show God's design for the Valentines theme. Right. So they had a, a marriage small group, they were doing a sermon series, they were do, you know doing all of these things around marriage and you know Steve saw enough of a change in me that he was like, mm-hmm. "Well, if this is where it's coming from, I'm going to go." And when he went to church with me for the, like for the first time, it was amazing for him because I was attending a church that had a, you know, modern a contemporary worship. And so as a musician, he was like, "Whoa!" you know, there's drums and a bass guitar. You know, I had gone with as a child and I had gone to a more traditional church, which he did not really, you know, feel anything about. And, but this was something that could speak to him. And so it was through the process of all, you know, attending all of those things. And God was just speaking to him, um, Mm. through the church services, through the marriage seminars, through the marriage, small group that we got into, um, all of these things were, you know, watching me and how I was responding, all of that was happening. And so it actually, um, the reveal day was January 19th and he accepted Christ, uh, Monday Thursday, that Easter in wow. early April. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: That is incredible. Cause I mean, I know a lot of people don't share that same experience, you know, that same story. But your experience did lead you to side-by-side ministry, a marriage ministry, and you are so passionate about just seeing people thrive in their marriages and being committed to God in their marriage. And so what are some of the things that you guys do? What, um, Yeah, just share that with us a little bit.
1: Well, the first thing that we knew God wanted us to do was to tell our story, yeah. because it's something that's very difficult for people to talk about. For us, for whatever reason, it is not difficult for us to talk about it. We, we share uh, pretty openly about the details of our story. And so we knew early on that that was something that he wanted us to do. For us, it was important for us to share it, in, um, including some sort of musical component. So we created a presentation that uh, we we share the testimony of our story and we support it with faith-based music. And so my husband's musician and sings and I'm, I sing. And so we chose songs that either meant something to us during that time of healing or that just really helped to tell the story. And so we started sharing it live, um, going just kind of from church to church, you know, and it was, it was difficult. Um, sometimes I think for people to pay, wait, you want to tell us your infidelity story? Like, okay. Uh, so that's how we started. We kind of started as a touring ministry. And then once my husband was called into full-time ministry Mm -hmm. as a worship pastor, which, you know, who knew, um, that only happened three years after he became a Christian, um, based on his calling and his schedule, you know, we couldn't go out and you know, do this as much as as we were before, and so um, we're in the process of creating a short film of our story right now. Um, we have our story, the live presentation and video on our website. We have a lot of resources that we share with people. Uh, a lot of what we do is share what we have learned, the process mm-hmm. that we have gone through, uh, as much as we possibly can, and then we do, we work with couples that are experiencing this and. They come out of the woodwork, you know, it's we really don't need to tell many people uh, because it's a hard topic. And so the fact that people can talk to somebody that understands where they are, they're they're more than willing to, to come and talk about it. So we're we try to be as available as possible to people so that we can just kind of walk them through that at least that first several weeks of revelation.
0: Yeah. Well, what are the things that you would say that you and Steve do now just to protect your marriage? Because I think it's so valuable for people who are married, whether you have a thriving relationship or whether you are coming out of, you know, let's say a post um, affair, whatever, no matter where you are on your path in your relationship, it's so important to have, normal routines, normal practices that help us Mm -hmm. to stay healthy. So what are some of the things that you guys do?
1: I think one of the most important things is that we set boundaries in multiple areas of our life. And I want to be clear that we set the boundaries not because we don't trust each other, but because we don't trust the enemy that we're fighting against, right? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the forces of evil.
0: It's so important.
1: That is what is coming after our marriages, especially our Christian marriages, because that's a place that the devil wants to break us down and say, no, no, that's not what God wants you to do. You know, so um, we place pretty extreme boundaries um, in our life, whether it has to do with our time, our time together. Um, how we interact with people of the opposite sex. Um, what does it look like for our family to interact? How do we share our story with our child and um, those people around us? What you know, we talk a lot at length about what is personal, and especially in in what we do. You know, like what is what is just for us, and what is right. something that's that's worth us sharing with those around us. We we share quite a bit. Both of us are are pretty willing to share quite a bit in in an effort to just let people relate and, and help them as much as we can. But we still place those boundaries. Right. Um, and, and I do believe that that is the most important thing. I think a lot of people don't place boundaries because they feel that if they do, they're somehow you know, showing that they don't trust their spouse. And that's not the case. We have to remember that we don't trust the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so then we together as a couple place that boundary around our marriage to protect it.
0: Yeah, I mean, because so often, the reality is, is that you have to come to the realization that we have limits as humans. And part of that limitation is the temptations we face every day that are common to man. And one of the biggest one of those is lust, sexual immorality, all of those things that come along. And so, I, yes, I value that a lot. Just thinking about, you know, a way to protect your marriage is boundaries. It's not, um, it doesn't have to be something that is viewed as a weakness to do that, but instead it's almost silly not to.
1: We are not above any sin. That's right. As humans, we are not. And as soon as we start to think that somehow we are above a sin, that is right where the enemy wants us to be. Yeah. I cannot sit here and say, Oh, I wouldn't possibly cheat on my husband because look at what he did to me. As soon as I say that, as soon as I think that somehow I am pridefully like not going to do that, the enemy is going to come in and he's going to shoot a dagger right at that pride. So, no, we are not above that. We have to place protective guards around our marriage.
0: Yeah. Well, and then how is Steve really involved in the ministry with you? Are you, would you say you guys are co partners in it? I mean, I know because he is a full time worship pastor that you, take the lead primarily but how does he come alongside you in that
1: you know he's uh, beautiful in the sense that you know he made sure that I could set up this podcast okay <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, my husband's
0: very good at that too <laughs>
1: Steve, Steve is sex support no I'm, I'm kidding he really is but no, that's yes. not his primary role we work with couples together so and, and we do it pretty quietly so a lot of what we do in our ministry is just this very quiet one-on-one time yeah. so we do a lot of phone calls a lot of emails a lot of texts a lot of one-on-one sitting on our couch or you know um, you know on a video call or something yes. so that's his primary place is that when we have a couple that that needs us to be available to them he is very much a part of that that's not something I ever cover on my own. Um, and then you'll hear that he will write, you know, every once in a while for the blog. Mostly you're hearing my voice on our blog, and I am the one that is primarily doing most of the research for a lot of the, you know, resources that we recommend to people. Right. But all of it is stuff that we're doing right now in our marriage. You know, there's always some information or study or resource that we are utilizing in our own marriage and so that's a huge piece of you know what we are and he's my spiritual leader you know he he is leading this family and so whatever we decide to do with side by side is steve and lisa and what what we believe god is calling us to do with the ministry seems to look different every day um and so it is as much as he is able to do, considering he also has a flock that he's leading uh, at our church. So, yeah.
0: Well, so how can people find Side by Side? Where are you on the web?
1: Our website is staysidebyside.org. Um, again, it's staysidebyside.org. <laughs> And our ebook that we wrote that's specific to infidelity is staysidebyside.org/help. So you can find us there, and you find right on the homepage the video of our presentation if you want to hear more specifically about our story. And we're on social. Stay side by side. Stay side by side.
0: <laughs> that must mean side by side was taken. So remember, it's stay side by side.
1: Yeah, well, we, we did a, we did an overhaul of the website uh, about a year ago and went from side-by-side ministry and really wanted it to be an action. You know, oh, we wanted yes. to have the action uh, word. So yeah, so stay side-by-side. But there are some other side-by-sides going on.
0: That's right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so grateful that you were able to sit down with me and share some of your wisdom and your experience. Thank you, Amber. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode, number 78 with Lisa Goldberg. Will you do me a favor? If you got something out of today's conversation, will you share it with a friend? You can text it to them directly from the listening app you are using right now. You can email it to them with a personal message or share the episode on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. Every share matters. Also, if you have questions or want quotes from today's episode, visit GraceEnoughPodcast.com and search Show Notes Episode 78. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time!